Hello, everyone, and you're tuning into Talking About Death Will Not Kill You. I am Lisa, your host, as you know, uh, and um, I'm speaking to another Lisa. Great name. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> We're everywhere. There are three or four in my class when I was a kid. <laughs> your name's not Marie, is it, by any chance? Because that's mine. No, no, I'm a joy. Lisa oh. Joy. Oh, wow, that's nice and unique. I don't know how many Lisa Marie's I've met. It's redonkulous. Um <laughs> But it's a joy to speak to you, so that works out well. So Lisa Herbert is the author of a book called The Bottom Draw Book. Um, I, when I saw this, I thought this is the most amazing thing and I can't believe that it never stumbled across my face until I was doing research for my podcast. So you're a freelance journalist and newsreader. Um, was. I now work for charity um, on Book by Recovery. So I'll probably go back to the media um, at some point, maybe next year. But for now, I needed a bit of a break. Um, and yeah, so Bushfire Recovery it is. Oh, awesome. So how did you come across writing this book? Yes. So I've always been interested in Western society's perception of death and dying and how we just don't talk about it. There's a fantastic psychiatrist who did groundbreaking work, mainly in the 70s, um, called Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And before her work, at no stage had the medical profession given the emotional needs of the dying, you know, any time. So she and her work broke through that. You might have heard of the five stages of grief. It's it's the same one. Um, she also came up with those five stages of grief. So she to give the dying a voice because they had something to say and weren't listening. So I was fortunate enough. My mum was amazing and she had all of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's works. So as a 14-year-old, I read them and they were, you know, one of those, well, not one of, they were the life changer for me. So yeah. that sparked me on a path of interest on death and dying and how we, how we don't talk about it and how it's kind of hidden away. And, yeah, one thing led to another. And I was at an open day um, at Randwick in Sydney where the whole suburb opened up and, you know, festivals, activities, and the local funeral director was had an open door. And in his um, window was a cardboard coffin with the Sydney Roosters logo all over it. And I kind of went, Wow. A cardboard coffin. Keep in mind, this was more than 10 years ago now, yes. Lisa. Yeah. Um, I went, wow, this is awesome. And so I made this really innocuous comment on Facebook to a friend of mine. Oh, you know, if I die, this is this is what I want. I found these cardboard coffins. And she goes, yeah, yeah, no worries. I'll organise that. But then I thought if I died, she probably wouldn't know that I died. She was really on my peripheral. She, We've got no other friends in common mm. so probably wouldn't know so I thought oh, I better I better write her name down so that it, you know if and when I do die well when I die um at least people can contact her and go okay so what did Lisa want and then yep. I writing so I started writing stuff down uh, it started with people who would need to be contacted then I started with what music I wanted played and then I started getting curious and wanting to know other choices, but I couldn't find the information. There was nothing online. Again, typical, it's yep. everyone goes to ground on death and dying. So at the time, I just started cold calling funeral directors and asking them questions. And without, I didn't have the intention of writing a book. 
But it just turned out that way that I had all this incredible, valuable information from funeral directors um, and my own research that I thought I really do need to write this down. So 70 odd pages later, I had the bottom draw book. And the difference about the bottom draw book is that it's modern and it's down to earth. It's amusing when it can be, informative when it needs to be, but it's it's really non-confrontational. It's That was my big thing. I wanted people to talk about this stuff and, and pre-plan their funerals or just give their loved ones a bit of an idea of what they might want at their end of life because it's a really crappy time when you're at your wit's end, you are grieving for the love of your life and you don't know what they wanted. That's, yep. that's tough. That's really tough. To be handed a book with all their details in there so that it's all there in black and white, there's no mistaking it, they've just got to basically just follow that list. It would It, it, it would be amazing. It is amazing to have that. It so is. If- and I, I get emails from people. There's a blog. I've got a, a, a blog on the bottom drawbook.blog. And there was a lovely lady called Kelly, and she got in touch with me, just letting her know the influence my book had on her family's life. Um, and she said, and I quote, all her wishes right there in one location, no hunting through music or, or trying to think about what she might like for flowers or what she wanted to be dressed in. It was a lifesaver. And, and Kelly's father was absolutely lost. He didn't know what to do. So when the funeral director rocked up, they remembered that Kelly's mum had filled in my book and written down her wishes and they just handed it to the funeral director and 20 minutes later, bam, the funeral that the mother wanted and the music that she wanted and the clothes that she wanted and everything else that she wanted was organised. It was fabulous. And um, and now it's, it's beautiful. It, it's become a memento and... Um, and Kelly says that she's actually kept her copy of the bottom drawer book in her mum's keepsake box. So when she's feeling sad or misses her, she pulls it out and there she is, you know, her writing, her humour, and it puts a smile on, on Kelly's face. And, you know, you can't ask for more than that. That's lovely, actually, because I, I uh, not that this journey started from that, but it has developed from that. So I lost my mum back in 2009. And to have something like that, like I, I treasure every single card that I've gotten and every single thing that mm. she's written down, but to have something like that would have been an invaluable. So I, I absolutely see the value in, in that sort of book. And even for my own children and my own husband, like I know I've told them a million times what I want, but I know what grief does to you and I know what shock can do to you and that those whole stages of grief you don't you're not thinking clearly so as much as you think is, someone yep so know. what does your family say what are your what you know what do your kids say when you tell them that do they say mom stop talking like that they do a bit yes I've so I've, yeah. I get a bit of resistance from from my family and the fact that it, do, it does make them feel uncomfortable as much as I try to normalize it hence this podcast and you know the fact that I still talk I talk about death on a daily basis they're getting better at it but it's soon as you soon as you make it personal it's funny talking about death in general seems to get it's 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 okay for people it's it's tolerable but as soon as it gets personal there lies the issue i find fascinating there are two types of people as you know lisa those who talk about it and those who want yeah but those who want to talk about it 
boy, they like to talk about it and they're organised. I do a little public speaking, you know, going to Lions Clubs and Rotary and whatever else, and I have people come up to me and go, here's my CD of all the songs that I want at my funeral and here's this and this is what I've organised. So there are some people um, who are very organised and uh, I find I get emails all the time from people who use my book and um, they will very matter-of-factly email me saying, good morning, Lisa, I am terminally ill and this is the last thing I have to do for my family. They don't want to know, so I'm going to write it all down for them. Bam. So there's a lot of people who are very upfront about their mortality. Yeah. I mean, and it's a certainty for everybody too. So th- describe the book for me. So I, I, I've, I know about it. I've looked it up, but... So is it is it like a I liken it to like a make your own will kit, but it's it's different to yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah, it's the bottom draw book, the after death action plan. So it's lightly written uh, with lots of information, but there's room for people to write their wishes. So I ask them things like, "What would you like done with your ashes, and why?" So that's written in the book after the um, after all the information of about cremation. I like that, and why. Yes, that's very important. Even with organ donation, I, you know, it's one thing to tick the box, but um, your family can override your decision, yes. unfortunately. So it's really important, and that's why I've left room in the bottom draw book, is why do you want to donate your organs? So perhaps if your family who want to overturn your, your wishes can actually connect with why you donating your organs was so important to you that might just swing them around to honour your decision. Yeah. I love that. I love the reasoning behind it. So it goes into in those sort of details. It's nothing to do with handing away keepsakes or I want this person to have these things. It's just more basically what you want thereafter your death. About, you- yep. It's about the person. You know, there are there are other very straightforward, straighty 180 and quite dark lists that, yeah. you know, funeral yeah. directors and cemeteries have done, which is great. Um, and there's space for that in the wheel about, you know, who gets the antiques and who gets the car. But yeah. this is, I wanted this to be about the person and, and who they are and how their life can be celebrated and how their story can be told. And their story can be told better if they partly tell it themselves. Um, you know, I, I asked in the book as well, you know, list list 10 words that describe you. What are your, um, what are the most outrageous things you've done? Uh, you know, I ask those, those kind of questions to get them thinking and writing and reflecting on their life and, and the good things about their life and what, you know, what have been your life's most valuable lessons. And it's, I just want people to realise that their story's important. Their achievements are important and they're worth being remembered. And if they don't write them down, you know, somebody might forget them and it might not be ever be mentioned again. But if it's in writing, you know, that time they won their, you know, the footy cup when they were seven years old and they were carried by their mates off the field. Yeah. You know, you might not know that story, but if it's written down, you know, it's a really special part of you. And it makes me think of um, a friend I interviewed and when her, I believe it was, it was a mother or her father. I can't recall who it was. Someone had passed away. And the the celebrant or the or the the pastor that did it never never even met this person. Um, and I know this was an old and it was it was a while ago that this happened. But and it's, and look, this happens. It's not often that the person who um, uh, 
does you officiates your funeral actually knows you and gets to spend time mm. with you because odds are they don't having yep. having these stories in a book to hand over to that person so that they they can be that person that voice for you and tell those stories I think is an absolutely amazing thing to have and it's incredible what families don't know about their loved ones mm. I one lady who um whose mother was a well-travelled, worldwide accredited academic. You know, she's delivered papers to, you know, professors all over the world. And they sat down and worked through the book together because her mother was nearing the end of life. And they sat down together and the, the page where it says, what are you most proud of? Um, this woman was expecting, you know, the research, the papers, the professors, all that kind of thing. Mm. But it turned that um, her mother's was most proud of was passing her grade seven piano exam when she was a young teenager. And that started a conversation that her mother, that the daughter didn't even know existed. She didn't even know her mother played the piano, let alone the pride pride she felt in, in reaching that goal as a teenager. And so, yeah, it was a wonderful experience for that, that family to learn about someone they thought they knew about and that's an that's an experience and that's and that's a story that may not even have happened because that book that's amazing oh hands down it wouldn't have happened without the book and I'm not hey everyone go and buy the book but I'm certainly saying everyone just just talk yes just tell tell your story you might think you're boring you may think oh everyone knows this about me but rest assured, no, and just to have handwritten notes from you, something to treasure when you're gone. I really encourage people, you know, all smartphones these days have recorders on them. You know, yeah. you can record an interview, for example. You know, record your grandmother's voice. You know, record the budgie in the corner whistling while the nan sings making her cake. Record those sounds. Record talking about her love for the recipe that's been handed down for three generations because that stuff's important really important that's awesome so what sort of processes or journey did you have to to make to write this book like how did you how did you think Mm. of these things there was a fair bit of scotch involved (laughs) Um, (laughs) i tell you what lisa it's it's um there's money involved you know i'm self-published yeah and it's a big commitment and there is so much work in this book um, and so much research and so many fabulous conversations. But every now and again, I'd go hell for leather and, you know, work solidly for weeks on it after work. And then it would fall by the wayside when I would get, you know, a bit down on the idea thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. Who's going to buy this book? Mm -hmm. Who's going to want to do this? And then, and then something else had happened and I'd, recharge again and work really hard again but I didn't tell my friends I was doing this because I was concerned about their negative connotations because again Lise this was gosh 10 yeah 10 years ago and there's been a massive change in that decade a massive change of death death literacy in that alone and we've seen changes even in the funeral industry for example New South Wales now um, funeral directors have to have their prices on their website that, that wasn't a thing just 10 years ago. Oh, so wow. we've seen transparency increase because the interest and people like you and myself talking about it 
are becoming more and more mainstream. Like mm. when I started the media interviews I did, it was sometimes they they just thought we can't speak about death on morning radio. That's, you know, we're supposed to get people happy and heading to work. We can't talk about death on the radio. That's ridiculous. Yep. But slowly that's that started to change. Yes, yes. Well, uh, this, um, when I thought about starting up a podcast, you know, I had a quick search and on the Spotify to see what was around. And there and there are plenty of podcasts out there that discuss I'm definitely not um, a trendsetter or, or like a, you know, trailblazer or anything like that, not leading on to them or trying to chase them. But I just thought, you know, everyone's got a unique story to share. And and I'm definitely taking a journey where I've, I, as I, as I go through and I interview people, I'm learning so much for myself as well for everyone that listens. But I feel like, contacting these people and having the discussions that I am with them is also benefiting them. So it, it will help the whole industry. You know, it can't, it can't hurt. It can only help by, by extending the, the bigger conversation. And there's some fantastic conversations to be had. There's some incredible research um, here and overseas in things people don't even think about, like increasing um, decomposition rates. So we can reuse graves. That's that kind of research is undergoing in Sydney. Um, human composting is is happening in the United States, and there's huge demand and interest in that. Um, alkaline hydrolysis, which is um, kind of kind of like dissolving a body in oh, potassium. Yes, uh, yes, water cremation. I've I've read that up. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's all these things that's fascinating. Um, because keep in mind, it, only 50, 60, 70 years ago, people turned their nose up at cremation, thinking that that was disgraceful and terrible. But now, you know, almost 70% of people who die are cremated. Yeah. Um, but when you think yeah. about the energy use that it takes to cremate someone at 900 degrees Celsius for, you know, more than 90 minutes, yeah. there are alternatives that need to be looked at. And we're running out of space in our cemeteries. So we, we're looking for the, the next big thing when it comes to, to be perfectly frank, body disposal, because yep. we're, there's heaps of us out there and they've got to put us somewhere. So there's there's all there's all sorts of elements to this conversation. It's not only about, about death and grief, it's about alternatives and broad thinking. Yes. I mean, I, le- I learned the other day about vertical cemeteries. And ah, like, yeah, Victoria. Once, yeah, yeah. once you hear it, you're like, oh, of course, that makes so much sense. Like it's just more, it would be just so simple just to drop us in legs first or head first, whichever way you want to go. It would, it would make so much sense to do that. But um, yeah, it's, it's only until you start looking that you see the possibility. And that's in a paddock. Like how lovely to be laid to rest in a paddock. Yes. You know, you wouldn't be laid to rest, you're standing up kind of. But yeah. there's there's all sorts of things happening out there. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, and you wouldn't get tired standing up. Rigor mortis would set in. You'd be fine. You'd be fine. <laughs> so, what have you learned from the book? Like the biggest issue or the biggest void? What was needed? What was more, most valuable from your book that you, you feel like it was cross spread across the feedback you got from it? Was um, there anything stuck out more for people? Probably more for me, to be honest. And yeah. something I found that I really needed was I really want people to be informed about their choices when it comes to organizing their funerals 
Um, I'm all for funeral directors doing amazing work, but you do pay a lot of money for funeral directors, um, particularly some funeral directors. So I want people to be informed enough to be able to hold their own with a funeral director, to ask questions, to say no, to offer alternative ideas, and also to um, just shop around. It's okay to shop around and get quotes from a funeral director. If you're going to spend 10, 15K on a new kitchen, you get quotes, you know, and you get magazine, you, you, you get home beautiful and you look at, you know, you get prepared, you get informed. Yep. But it seems that often with funerals, it's just like, oh, oh, let's just find a funeral director and bang, that's it, it's all done. Yeah. No, I want people to take the time to shop around, to question their funeral directors, to work with their funeral directors to make a unique ceremony for their person yes. um, and be happy with what they've achieved working with their funeral director if that's the way they want to go. That's the big thing. That's the biggest thing that I want out of this book. I want people to be informed, to know that they have choices. And I do find some funeral directors are set in their ways a bit. They're a bit old school and they're yeah. reluctant to change. And that's not going to suit everyone. Mm. So if you happen to find that funeral director and you find them a little bit stiff and they're not quite the kind of supplier, I guess, that you <laughs> Pardon the pun, bit stiff. <laughs> you are more than welcome to say, yep, you're not for me. I'm going to try another funeral director. And I want people to have the strength and knowledge to know that they can do that. Absolutely. That's fantastic. It's, and it's not like you're trying to shop around for a cheaper price. You're not doing that at all. You're just trying to, just like for a wedding, if that, if that venue or that person the way they act doesn't mesh, then you don't stick with that person. You can you can look around. And by all means, shop around on price as well. Oh, of course. Yep. yep. The, the, I mean, I, I don't want, you know, I know that I wouldn't want my family to spend an unnecessarily amount on me. I just, you know, it's not, it's not needed. And I think everybody's loved one would want the same, you know. Don't blow it all on me. Just do what you need to do and enjoy the rest of it. Yeah, and as long as they know, because some people might think, oh, grandma was really special, so I have to spend $5,000 on a hardwood coffin for grandma. But if they'd had that discussion with, with, with their grandmother and little old Nan said, no, just put me in a pine box, leave yeah. the money in the car, you know, that gives them permission to spend 800 bucks on the coffin instead of 5000 So that's why that conversation is important. It might just save you a lot of money. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I will give the links of your of your book um, on on our on the post and on my Facebook page and on the the um, description of all the podcast episodes on the different platforms. Is there anything else you wanted to say that I may not have mentioned? No, I'm just really happy that people are having the discussion. There has been a real change in the way people approach death in the last 10 years. Um, people are talking about it. The media is more receptive to talking about it. So I just think it, it's wonderful that people are, are starting to take an interest in their own mortality and just a little bit of preparation will go an awful long way. Absolutely. Have, and and in on that same vein, have you got plans for yourself as yet? Is there any? Interestingly, they've changed. Oh, really? I I wanted a living wake, 
So, you know, if I had the opportunity to be alive and knowing that I was terminal, I wanted to have a party in a paddock with a band, a country music band with fairy lights and a bar, uh, blah, blah, blah. That has never changed. I, I don't want that. I want a direct cremation which means there is no funeral at the time. Yep, same. I just want my body just to get rid of the body, put me in an urn, and at a later date when the time is right or, you know, maybe there's no need, then my friends and family might be able to get together and, you know, put me in a paddock and have a bit of a party or sit me on the bar while they um, have a few drinks and reminisce. But um, I want low frills. I, I want a pine box and I want... Even cardboard coffin, to be perfectly honest. Yep. Yes. Actually, I don't want to. Sorry, I'll clarify that. I don't want to cut the, the traditional cardboard cos, coffin that they talk about is often full of glues and lacquers. So, no, I, I don't want that. But mm. there are capsules, which are a really low, um, low maintenance capsule that pretty much just burns. So that's what I want. Yes, I'm, I'm of the same vein, too. I'm, I I wanted cremation just at the start and now I I want the direct cremation and then the party or the funeral can be the aftermath because for myself dealing with um, a funeral and then um, unfortunately it took me a while to obey not obey but can um, carry out my mother's wish of having her ashes scattered it took um, 10 years before I did it I found that it sent me right back to the start um, especially with the grieving process so in my head that directed me and realized you know what I don't want to do that to anybody else I don't want to have to let them have a nice scab form and then rip the band-aid off and take off everything with it so um must be uh it's nice to see someone else in the same sort of vein because it's just it's uh, it's important to I mean you you want what you want but you also have to think of everybody else and I love that this book does just that it's you're basically it's it's you caring for everybody else and we're always there to care for somebody else and no one really takes it it's it's much harder to take the time to sit there and look after yourself whether it's to get your own hair done or not that we can do it we're in lockdown most of us but um those those sort of steps and just this just the idea of putting everything down like you don't necessarily have to buy the book although I do recommend it because it sounds amazing and I'm thinking I'm going to get one soon but it's the it's the idea of just putting your feelings and emotions and everything down so that people can see and understand why. I mean, a will is so they're so cold and so distant that you know yes. you, tell, you tell them I want this person to have such and such piece of jewelry. You don't say why. There's no there's no story behind it. It's just an instruction book. Yeah, so, a very yeah. instruction book. But you're right. It's it's about the person when someone dies. You know, you've got two ways of looking at it. It's about that that person or it's about their things. So I, I prefer the person, but, yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone everyone pretty much has sorted, like most people when they first think of thinking their own mortality goes to will. But, you know, this this should be right up there. If, if anything, I think it should come before the will. But um, I really do appreciate your time talking to me today and I, I love the book and I think you did a great job doing it. How long did it take you to write? Probably two years off and on. Um, I had to find a great illustrator, who, which I did, based in Brisbane, Phil Judd. Um, so, yeah, once I buckled down, it, w- it was quite an easy process, but it was just that two years of umming and ahhing and that kind of thing. And it's a great example of if you have an idea, 
just do it because yeah. it's it's such a ride. I've met so many amazing people. I get emails all the time of of knowing that I actually changed someone's life. I changed a family's life. Is just the best feeling. It's it's a humbling feeling. So it's um so yeah. Follow follow your follow your gut. Yeah. Whether it's about or dying or you've just got an idea for an invention, just just have a crack because you never know where it's going to lead you. In fact, I've just um, just tonight I'll be working on the bottom drawer ebook. So uh, oh. you've heard it first. Um, there's actually an ebook in in the midst, and I reckon that will be available within two weeks. Um, awesome. So they'll have they'll have the ability to to what type their things into it. Is that the that, is that the idea? No, I thought about that, but again, I think the handwriting is really important. Yeah. So I just encourage them to get a notepad, a, a, a notebook, you know, yep. maybe a diary um, and just sit down and, you know, stick some photographs in that diary as well as write down the answers um, that, I've, that I pose to them in the book. Next step, I think you should get an audio book and get, and get someone absolutely hilarious to, um, to read it. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you want a hilarious or very interesting podcast, um, the Pineapple Project is a podcast series by the ABC, and I think it was Jan Fran did a great series. I think it was an eight-part series. Um, they're only twenty-five minutes long, but look up the Pineapple Project um, with Jan Fran, and she did a series about death and dying, and it's it's very worth listening to. It's great fun to listen to. Yeah, it sounds oddly familiar. So I'm sure I've touched on it at some point, but I will definitely go through and give us something to listen to while we're all stuck at home. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's always an upside to it. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And I, I hope that everything goes well with the ebook. and I can't wait to hear more about it. It was so nice to meet you. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Take care. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye.